this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. had a, a really good life group leaders meeting this week. Uh, John and I met with uh, all our small group leaders actually and uh, we've got nine life groups in the church now. It's great isn't it? They've just sprung up from anywhere and uh, just so exciting to hear uh, what God's doing and uh, just the number of people that are plugging into that area of church life and I want to encourage you if you're not yet in a life group uh, then we've got nine across Derby, Burton and Ashbourne now. And uh, so wherever you are, there should be one near you. So details are on the website or you can see a member of our welcome team afterwards or if you can't find anybody else, you can come and ask me and uh, I can give you the information. Um, but Life Groups meets uh, during the week. It's a great way to build friendship, build community and get plugged into church life. So if you're not yet in one, then I want to encourage you to get plugged in. But it was just so good to be with our uh, life group leaders this week and to uh, hopefully encourage them and to hear what God's doing in their groups. And I'm sure you want to be part of it. Okay, so this morning I want to go back in time. That's what we're going to do. And uh, I should have had a little TARDIS somewhere on stage. Um, But I want to go back in time a little bit to uh, a passage earlier in Corinthians. So if you've been with us recently, you'll know that we're working our way through Paul's letter uh, to the church at Corinth. And we're making good progress in that. Um, But I'm going to jump back um, a a couple of weeks um, because there's a a passage, there's a long passage that uh, we looked at a few weeks ago. And uh, we covered some of it brilliantly. I thought, you know what, there's some other stuff there that I don't want us to miss. And uh, so that's what we're going to do this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, please. We're going to read some verses together. If my Bible holds out, it's looking, it's, it's just falling apart more and more, isn't it? It's a bit, oh, I think a big R is called for. Well, pre- maybe I should get a new one. Well, that's very kind of you. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, the reason I haven't got a new one is that, I don't know if you're like this, but I know where stuff is on the page. You know, I know that particular verse is in the bottom left-hand corner. Of, around that sort of, I can't remember, always remember the verse, I can remember where it is on the page. So I am terrified of getting a new Bible where stuff's in different places. So that's why I'm holding out and, um, well, we shall see how long it lasts. Anyway, we don't, how do we get into that? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, first one, we'll read the first 13 verses. 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the clouds and they passed, all passed through the sea. They were all baptised into Moses in the clouds and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now, these things occurred as examples to us 
um, to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolatrous, as some of them were. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfilment of the age has come. ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, this book that we have. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. Thank you for this letter that Paul has written to the church in Corinth. And God, as we spend these, these uh, times together looking through it, we, we pray again that you would come and be our teacher. As we uh, look at these few verses together this morning, God, we pray that you would help us not only to understand what we've read, but Lord, would your spirit apply it to our hearts. God, would you come and feed us from your word. Feed our souls, feed our hearts this morning. Uh, come and uh, teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so you might want to keep your Bible open. We'll work our way through the passage together and we'll start off, uh, unsurprisingly, at the beginning of verse 1, where Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. This should get our attention. Because nobody likes being called ignorant. At least I'm assuming nobody likes being called ignorant. I can't even say ignorant. I've been practicing all week and I still can't get it right. Ignorance. There we are. It's almost the ultimate put down, isn't it? You're so ignorant. We don't like that. We don't like to be accused of that. So Paul's saying, listen, I don't want you to be like that. I don't want you to be ignorant of these things. Because there's some important truths that Paul is about to share. So we have got an opportunity this morning not to be ignorant, but to be wise. And I guess if I asked you to put your hands up, which would you rather be, I'm sure you would choose wise. So Paul is saying, listen up, there's some things that you need to know. And he talks about his, our forefathers, and he used that phrase, our forefathers. You see, this is not just ancient history for Paul. This is family. This is the people that he is connected to. He identifies himself as part of this great family of God and he talks about those that have gone before him. He has a love for these people, but he also has a sober assessment of where they went wrong. So he's not looking back with rose-tinted spectacles, like, oh, how wonderful were they? But rather he identifies as part of the family and also identifies some areas where they went wrong. Paul describes them as being under the cloud. Do you remember the story how the people of God, the Israelites, were, were led out of Egypt and they had the cloud and the pillar of fire. They saw the very presence of God, leading them out. 
the cloud led them by day and the pillar of fire by night. Every day they saw the visible presence of God being with them. They knew, you know, we're following the clouds. And we sometimes use that phrase even now, don't we? Talking about following what God's doing amongst us. We're going to follow the cloud. For them, it was literal. They were following that cloud. Because they knew in that cloud, God was leading them. They knew in that pillar of fire, if they followed that, God was going to lead them. So there was his, his presence, his very presence, literally leading them out, literally being visible before them. I mean, I mean sometimes we talk about guidance, don't we? We think, oh, how do I know what to do here? I want God to guide me. And we, we say things like that, don't we? And we, we open our hearts to the Lord and say, God, would you speak? I want to do your will here. I want to be obedient to you. Listen, they had a cloud. All they had to do was follow the cloud. They had a pillar of fire. Instructions are quite simple. See the pillar of fire? Follow that. So God was actually among them physically in these things, leading them forward. They saw other amazing things as well. They saw God provide for them every day. And even getting out of Egypt was a miracle in itself, wasn't it? If you know the story, you know how Moses leads them out of Egypt. They get to the Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea and they walk across it on dry ground with a wall of water on either side. You would have remembered that, wouldn't you? If you had been there, that's not usual. That doesn't generally happen. You know, when we baptise our friends this afternoon, when they get into the pool, my expectation is that the water will sort of stay there. Not that they'll get into the pool and suddenly the water will part and they'll just be the dry bottom of the swimming pool. That would be unusual, wouldn't it? That's how they were led out of Egypt. On dry ground, with a wall of water on either side, that God just held there, they walked through, God brought them out, and then the cloud of God's presence moved behind them, so the Egyptian army couldn't really see what was going on, the water comes back, and that's the end of the Egyptian army. What an amazing demonstration of God's power. It's incredible, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. Probably more than you or I have seen, at least physically, manifestations like that. They had the cloud, they had the pillar of fire, their clothes and shoes didn't wear out. That would be a good one. That would save a whole lot. If you've got kids, I mean, they just get through them, don't they? But listen, their clothes, their shoes didn't wear out. God provided for them. They knew God's miraculous provision of food. God provided food for them, water for them. And so the list goes on. And yet, and yet, they still fell away from God. Even though they had seen all those things, they fell away from God. They indulged in pagan revelry, committed sexual immorality, and God judged them. Dear friends, this should shock us. It is meant to shock us. There are some warnings here. Paul is saying, 
don't be ignorant of them. So you see, it is possible to see the miraculous, to experience God's presence, and still to fall away from relationship with him and fall into sin. It is. You might think, oh, how can that be possible? I wouldn't do that. Listen, it is possible. The Bible shows us how it's possible. It is written for us as a warning. You see, God's presence is not an indicator of holiness. Now, his gifts, his presence are not a reward for good character. They are gifts. They are given by him as gifts. And also, his presence alone will not keep you from sin. Now, I can think of numerous high-profile, well-known Christian leaders who certainly knew God's presence, yet in the last few years of of falling into sin. And and that's just the high-profile, well-known ones. There are countless others as well, leaders and not. Those who saw wonderful things in God, and yet something happened, and they fell away from him. You see, his presence is not a reward for holiness, nor just in and of itself does it keep us from sin. See, this should arrest our attention. We should be reading this going, I need to take note here. We need to take note here. God wants that. The presence of the Holy Spirit should lead us more and more into God, to draw us closer to him. And as that happens... We check our hearts. And as that happens, we allow him to examine our hearts and say, God, is there anything in me that you need to deal with? Is there anything in us that you need to address? And the closer we get to him, the more open he wants us to be for those sort of conversations. And you know what? The closer we get to him, the more enthusiastic we should be about pleasing him and being obedient to him. And dealing with the stuff that can get in the way. So let me ask you a question. Does Jesus reign in your life? Does Jesus reign in your life? Is he on the throne? Is he really in charge? Does he rule and reign in your life? In every area of your life? Just this week, I've been reading a book uh, by a couple who saw, um, I'm not finished with the book yet, but I'm halfway through and already they've seen really quite a remarkable move of God in Cambodia in the early 1970s, in in the days just before the Khmer Rouge really took hold of the country. And it's a remarkable story of God's power and his provision and them being obedient to him and them seeing really quite remarkable things of God's. And many people say, wow, what a fantastic account, what a fantastic story. And yet, even though this guy saw so much and led many people to Jesus, it seems that, that later in life he fell away from Christ. And as I'm reading it, sort of knowing something of his later history, I'm thinking, how can that be? How can, how, how can that be? How can he see all these things and yet later fall away from Jesus. Now, I don't want to be that man. 
I'm sure you don't want to be that person. So, what's the antidote? How can we make sure that doesn't, uh, that doesn't happen to us? I was in a meeting just recently uh, in the Christ Central team that, that I, I serve in. We were talking about accountability and what that meant to us. Uh, and we looked at what it, what it meant for different ones in the team. And, <clears throat> reality is it's about opening up, isn't it? It's about sharing your life with somebody else so they know what's really going on. Sarah and I sat down last weekend at the leadership weekend that, that we were at with a number of other uh, leaders from Jubilee. had a great time. Thank you for releasing us to go. I'm told you had a great time here as well, which is good. Uh, but we sat down with another couple over, over that weekend and you know, they know what's going on in our lives, what pressures we're facing, the things that we're carrying. And we know the same about them. What's going on in their life? What are the pressures that they're under? What are some of the things that they're asking God about? Where, where, where do they feel under pressure for, for themselves? And, and we've, we've got permission to, with one another to speak into each other's lives. Yes, to encourage, but also to hold to account. Saying, come on, God said. What about this? What about that? You see, that's not the only thing that will prevent you falling away from God, but it's a good start. I want to encourage you. Have you got those sort of relationships? We, we talked just a little bit earlier uh, about life groups. That's the, life groups are a great way of building those sort of relationships. They don't happen just by sitting around in a circle in the room. Just because you turn up doesn't mean the relationships happen. But it gives a context for those relationships to be built and nurtured and to get to know one another in that sort of context. I want to encourage you, share life with, with others. But it's also about maintaining a good and godly conscience. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And listen, don't say it could never happen to you. That's almost the most dangerous phrase you could use, to say, oh, it would never happen to me. You know, I remember the very first leaders prayer meeting that I went to um, years ago as a 20 something I went to a leaders a New Frontiers leaders prayer meeting I've never been to one before and uh, there are now a couple of hundred of us in the room and um, Terry Virgo got up and shared some, some sad news about a, a couple of people that we all knew that had, had fallen away from Christ and fallen into sin and we got into groups to pray for them and their families and uh, to pray for one another, that God will protect us. And I remember, like it was yesterday, being with this older, older man, this well-known, loved pastor who I respected and still do, and his first words were, never say it couldn't be me. I was shocked. I remember thinking, what do you mean? It'd never be you. I was thinking, he's like, no, listen. He said, never say it can never be me. And that stayed with me. Because as soon as we say, hey, I'm, I'm above that, not going to happen to me. We're on dangerous ground. Much better we say, yeah, I want to be careful. I want to be wise. I want to take good care of what God's given me to take care of. I want to look after my heart and my relationship with God. I want to look after my family well. Not to get nervous about it. Not to get worried about it. Be in faith about it. But never say, oh, it could be me. Because as soon as you say that, you're on dodgy grounds. So, 
Friends, keep your heart right. Keep your heart close to Jesus. Yeah. <clears throat> Paul um, addresses some specific things here. Verse 8, he talks about uh, not committing sexual immorality. And uh, he talks about that. The instruction is quite clear. Don't. It's not, um, not ambiguous. It's really quite, quite straightforward. Don't. And yes, I know God forgives. I know we serve a loving, forgiving God. But listen, it's so damaging. And it's so damaging and often so difficult to recover from and has consequences even after forgiveness has occurred. Even if there's reconciliation, there are often still consequences to be lived with. You see, this particular sin is one that doesn't just affect you, but it affects other people as well. It affects you, it affects your walk with God, but it affects your family. It affects the other person, their family. It affects the body, the church, actually. So Paul is saying, listen, don't, don't commit sexual immorality as, as some of them did. And they were, in, they were judged for it. He goes on, we should not test the Lord. Verse 9. We should not test the Lord as some of them did. You say, yes, God is a loving, forgiving, gracious God. But Paul is saying, don't test him. Don't test him in this. Don't test his patience. If you're caught in sin, then confess it. Deal with it. Let God in. Don't push him out. If this is you today, then I want to encourage you, don't step back, step forwards. Press into God. We've had words this morning, haven't we, about pressing into God, into more of his presence. If that's you, then repent and press into him. Deal with it. Confess it. Don't test the Lord's patience, as, as Paul is saying here. And then right after talking about sexual immorality, if you've got your Bibles open still, you can see it. Right after talking about this, next verse, verse 10, Paul says, and do not grumble. So he leaps from sexual immorality to grumbling. I wonder, if you were writing to the Corinthian church, would you put those two things together? As I was studying this this week and praying and just looking through the passage and thinking about this morning, I was like, why are those two things together? Why does one follow? I'm not saying one leads to the other. <laughs> but well, why, why, what's the connection here? Why does he put the two together? Why, why does he move so quickly from sexual immorality to grumbling? You know, there's, 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 there's nothing in between, is there? He goes from one straight into the other. And, <laughs> sticking on there, and do not grumble. So it got me thinking. What's the connection? Why has Paul gone from one to the other so quickly? Well, I haven't asked him. I didn't know, I'm not able to do that. But, you know what? I was thinking this week, they have one thing in common. They both affect the body of Christ as a whole. They both affect 
the body of Christ as a whole. Remember, Paul is writing to a church, isn't he? To the church in Corinth. He's writing to the community of believers. His passion is for the church. His passion is for the body, the community, the people. And both of these sins, yes, grumbling is a sin, affect the body of Christ. Grumbling leads to negativity, to gossip, to divisiveness. And look what happened to the children of Israel when they grumbled against Moses and Aaron and ultimately against the Lord. It didn't work out well for them, would be a a summary statement. I mean, one example, when they grumbled that they didn't have meat to eat, the Lord sent them meat and lots of it. Numbers 11, verse 19. God says, you will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Okay. Because you've rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him, grumbling, saying, why do we ever leave Egypt? Then later in Numbers 13, Moses sends off the spies to explore the lands of Canaan. You may know the story. He sends out the 12 spies to, to go check out the land where they're heading to. To go and see what it's like. And 10 of them come back with a bad report, a negative report. And only two, Joshua and Caleb, come back with a good report. And this caused the people to grumble complain and rebel. And God judged them for it. He declared that their generation would therefore not enter the promised land, that they would die in the desert. And then those who had given a bad report and stirred up the grumbling, they were struck down and died of a plague. Numbers 14. God takes this seriously. It affects the community, the body, the body of Christ. So, don't be a grumbler. Let's determine not to to grumble. Now listen, I'm not saying that you can't challenge or you can't ask questions or that somehow leaders are beyond asking things. That's not what I'm saying at all. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. You absolutely can challenge, can ask questions can engage. But listen, it's the spirit that it's done in. You can do that in a godly way. Not grumbling. You can do it with a godly, a gentle and loving spirit. An attitude that seeks to build up rather than to pull down. I know grumbling is easy. But wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if Jubilee was a community where grumbling didn't exist. Wouldn't that be good? Now, I don't think we're a particularly grumbly lot. But wouldn't it be great if we could say about our community, our church, that no, no, we, we don't have that here. We don't, don't have grumbling. We don't believe that's, that's helpful. We don't believe that's, that's healthy. Yeah, where there are things that we need to challenge and talk about, we would do it in a, in a loving way that we seek to honour God and resolve things, not to, not to grumble. Wouldn't that be great? 
jumping into the New Testament, I love what Peter has to say about the subject. 1 Peter 4 verse 9, he says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And you can imagine this sort of a situation, can't you? God, I've got people around for dinner again! We're always having people around. You can imagine what Peter's addressing. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Brackets. Just get pizza and make it easy. Close brackets. Because <laughs> actually, hospitality is not about a four-course meal. It's about opening your home and sharing life. And you can do that just as easy over a takeaway pizza as you can an elaborately prepared four-course gourmet meal. So let's make sure we're doing that as well. Now then, we need to speed up if we're going to finish this. Verse 11, these things are given to us as examples and written down as warnings. So scripture is given to us to teach us about Jesus, to reveal the Father to us, to show us who we are in him. And Paul says that these things are written down for our benefit. See, some examples in Scripture are good. We say, let's be like that. Some examples in Scripture are bad. We're saying, let's make sure we're not like that. But people's lives and histories are written down with purpose. We have something to learn from them. And then in verse 12, we sort of touch what I've mentioned already. Is another warning for us. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Don't say, it could never be me. If you think you're standing firm, watch out. Be careful that you don't fall. Be careful. Take care. Don't be foolish. Don't play about with it. Be wise. James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding faults, and it will be given to you. You see, God loves to give wisdom. And Paul's saying here, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Watch out. Hey, imagine for a moment, on your house, on your home, You've, you know, just after Storm, whatever it was, Doris is the most recent one, I think. Just after Doris has passed and done her worst, you can see up on the very top of your roof, you've got a loose tile. You can see it sort of move around slightly, thinking, this is not good. I don't know much about roofs, but I know that tiles that move generally aren't a good thing. So you might think, well, on, <clears throat> on your house is a, is a roof tile that started to move. It's not secured anymore. So you might get out your ladder. You just happen to have one of those really long ladders, you know, the extra long ones that can get all the way up to your roof. And up you climb. Tentatively, because it's quite high. On one hand, a small bucket of cement. And in the other hand, a trowel. And there you are, sort of leaning forward, trying to climb up this ladder, holding these things, to get up to your roof to fix this tile. And so as you tentatively clamber over the guttering and crawl onto your roof, we might call out, hey, be careful that you don't fall. Because there's obvious danger. If you slip, it's not going to end well. 
You see, you and I could see the risk. We would be aware of the danger before us. You would make, you'd be extra careful to make sure that you had something to hold on to and that you had a secure grip because you were aware of the danger. Change the picture for a moment. As you walk home from church this morning, you might just be walking out of the quads, might be wandering over to the bus station perhaps to retrieve your car from the car park or, 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 or jump on a number seven bus or whatever it is that you do to get home. You might be idly checking your phone for new messages or the Facebook posts that you've missed during the morning and as you sort of go along there and you're looking at your phone, you're suddenly not aware of the speeding car behind you that's veering out of control and is about to knock you flat off the pavements. You wouldn't even see it coming because you weren't really paying any attention to the risks around you. You see, friends, there are some things we do that have obvious and evident risks. And we think, hey, I need to take care. I need to be careful. There are some things that we do, we don't pay any attention to what's going on because we're not aware of the risks around us. You wouldn't even see it coming. Temptation can be like that sometimes. You don't even see it coming. You're not prepared for it. You're not aware of the risk. You think you're okay and you're not going to fall and then bang, before you know it, it's taking you out. But listen, Verse 13 gives us a wonderful promise. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Isn't that a good promise? Isn't that a good promise? You see, the devil doesn't really have any new tricks. He may have some new opportunities, but the lies are all the same. The root temptations don't change. Whatever temptation you're facing this morning, somebody else has faced it before. You might think you're unique, but the reality is someone else has faced it before. And you notice God's promise here? He is faithful. God is faithful. Turn to the person next to you and say, God is faithful. He really is. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And more than that, his promise is this. Whenever you are tempted, he'll provide you with a way out. Every time, guaranteed, he has said it. So just like a sat-nav shows you the way to go, God shows you a way out. And he will make a way. But listen, you have to take it. You have to walk in it. I'm sure most of you have been in a situation where you're in a car, maybe you're driving, and you think that you know the way. But somebody else who is with you says, no, that's not the way, you need to turn here and not there. And perhaps there is some light-hearted discussion of said controversy. And because you're driving, you think, well, I'm driving, I'm going to go my way. And you take your routes, and before you know it, within a few moments you find that you've hit a dead end and you need to turn around and try and manoeuvre your way out and go back the way that the other person in the car thought that perhaps you should go. Obviously, I'm not talking from experience here. I've just heard it said. And then the comment comes, 
told you she'd gone the other way. <laughs> Has that happened to you? No. no. <laughs> right answer. It's never happened to me. <laughs> I've just heard it said. But listen. Listen. When you are tempted, God comes to provide a way and says, take this road. Take this way out. Take this way out. Don't argue about it at that point. Don't think, I know best. No, 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 I don't need to do that. I can handle it. I'm, I'm good. I'm okay. No, no. When God comes and provides you the way out, jump at it. Take it. Run down it. And take advantage of your way out. Don't take your route. Take his route. Because he provides you with a way out. Now, the assumption that you're, is that you're not putting yourself in situations where you're vulnerable to start with, that's pretty much a given. That's being wise. But when temptation comes, and it will, stand firm. Take the way out that God gives you and stand up under it. We're out of time. Perhaps the band can come up, please. We'll just wrap up. One of the things that I love about this letter to the Corinthians is the mix between the highly theological and the everyday practical. And both go together. And this morning we've had some really practical instructions, some commands from Paul about how to live. We would do well to pay attention and to be obedient. Don't commit sexual immorality. Don't grumble. Watch out. If you think you're standing firm, watch out. And when temptation comes, take the way out that God provides every time. Because he's faithful. There's an old hymn written in 1922 by Helen Limmel, I think it is. And the refrain is this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The way to overcome is not to go around going, mustn't fall, mustn't fall, mustn't get tempted, mustn't fall. The way to overcome is to go, look to Jesus. I'm going to look at Jesus. I'm going to behold him in all his beauty and majesty and glory and splendour and look at him and get closer to him. And as that happens, dear friends, other stuff starts to fall away. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. And so we're going to, in a moment, stand and we're going to sing. And if this morning anything we've looked at, anything we've spoken of, has sort of landed, has touched a chord in your heart, even if it's wanting to look closer at Jesus and be more like him, then I want to invite you to come and stand at the front and we're we're going to pray. Because this morning what I believe God wants to do is to draw us closer to him. Even the prophetic words we had during worship spoke about that. What Paul said about getting in the river, going deeper. Disney's wonderful song on a similar theme. Talked about us getting closer to Jesus, drawing closer to him, getting in his presence, in his river more and more in order that he might change us. 
that he might transform our heart and make us more like him. And I'd imagine that's what we all want. That's what I want. And so if you want that this morning and like us to pray with you for that, then as we've seen, you come and we'll pray. Okay? Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for your words. <clears throat> we thank you for your presence, God. We thank you for speaking to us, Lord, this morning. And God, we pray that we would see you more and more clearly every day. As we fix our eyes on you, as we gaze upon you, that you would draw us closer to you and make us more like you. And these other things will just work themselves out because we're closer to you and becoming more like you. So apply it to our hearts, we ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. And if you want us to pray for you this morning on this, then be calm and we'd love to do that as we sing together. Sunday.